0: Hi, this is Dave Olson. I'm the senior leader of Heartland Church, located in Ankeny, Iowa. I hope the following message challenges, encourages, and ultimately changes you. Thanks for joining us. Well, good morning, everyone. What a morning. I awoke to find out that my spiritual father, Jack Taylor, got graduated to heaven. He, uh, he passed away. And uh, I, I, I knew he wasn't doing well. He's been hard to get a hold of lately. He had just sold his home in Florida and is, was moving to Texas to be near his son, his only begotten son, as he called him. He had many sons, me and about 700 others, uh, literally. Uh, but he, he went to be with the Lord, and I wrote Sherry Phillips this morning and said, hey, Bob and Jack are catching up, and they're having a good time in heaven. And so be praying for Frida. Uh, that, that God will just help her to navigate through this time. Uh, Frida was Jack's third wife. He was married for some 35 years to his first wife. She passed away. He grieved her, got remarried, and just, just before their wedding, his second wife was found out to be with cancer. And uh, he married her anyway. It went into remission. They were on a world cruise. And in the middle of the cruise, they had to get off the ship uh, because she took a turn for the worst, and she passed away. And uh, Jack said he grieved that, and then he said, Lord, I need a replacement. And uh, boy, what a replacement the Lord gave him in Frida. And uh, she has been a trooper and trucked all over the world with Jack. And and Jack was, uh, I want to say he was... Christopher would know for sure. Christopher, are you in here? How old is Jack? 87 or 88. Uh, but he's he's now with the Lord, and he's got his, I, I believe, his 30-year-old body. Now, I can't back that up with Scripture, but I think we're going to have our 30-year-old body. That was about the time I was at my peak. I don't know about you. It's been downhill ever since, the last five years. And uh, you'll, you'll get that in a moment here. But uh, so... I, my, heart's, my heart is heavy, but I'm, I'm happy for Jack. And uh, it was a huge loss for many of us. Jack has been served as one of our external overseers uh, for a number of years now. And so we're going to have to, uh, Elder Board, we're going to have to find a replacement for Jack. And uh, we won't be able to completely replace him. But uh, So just be praying for Frida. And I wrote Leif this morning. I know this is a huge loss for Leif as well. And uh, so, in honor of Papa Jack, let's talk about the kingdom this morning. The first time that I met Jack Taylor, and I'd I'd heard of Jack Taylor for many years. I had his books on my shelf. He was kind. He was a very famous author. At one time, Jack served as the uh, assistant, the general superintendent assistant. He was second in command of the Southern Baptist movement. and he was their best-selling best author. Uh, but these S's are really killing me here. Uh, he was their best-selling author. And uh, Jack pastored a Baptist church in San Antonio back in the 70s, revival hit. They were a church, when Jack took the church, it was about 40 people. When he left, it was about 4,000. They saw many bars and, and uh, many strip clubs in their area closed down. The, the strippers got saved, the owners got converted, they closed up shop. Tremendous move of God and that thrust Jack into international prominence and he began to write about his experiences and became the best-selling author the Southern Baptists had during that time. Uh, Jack somewhat fell out of favor with them as he came in more and more into the charismatic renewal and uh, Jack was a kingdom man and he gave the last number of decades of his life to teaching on the kingdom. And his greatest gift to my life was his message on the kingdom. Uh, Jack came to us in 2008. Uh, those of you who've been around here any time have heard us reference 2008. We had a tremendous move of God that year. Uh, we had numerous moves of God coming up to that time, but I'm telling you, in 2008, it hit. Uh, a dear friend in one of Papa Jack's Spiritual sons Leif Hetland had been in the year before, and a young woman named Renee Norgard came out of a wheelchair when Leif prayed for. Her. Renee came in that night; her hands were all atrophied. She couldn't even sit up. She was in a, le- a wheelchair where she was laid down, and she was wheeled in. And uh, Leif preached on the the uh, spirit, uh, the uh, orphan spirit that night, and she came to the altar not for healing of her degenerative disease, but rather to be healed of the orphan heart. And she, God did a work in her heart. and She worked through some things. She had been in a car accident and uh, had degenerative uh, damage that was just getting worse and worse. Uh, But she was standing in faith, and she told her caretaker the Friday before the Saturday that she got healed, she told her, she said, one of these days you're going to come to bathe me, and I'm going to answer the door, and I'm taking you out for ice cream because Jesus is going to heal me. And she thought, oh, that's nice. And lo and behold, the next Monday morning when she knocked on the door, Renee answered the door and said, we're going for ice cream. And uh, so it was... It was the, the most phenomenal miracle, physical miracle, I've ever seen. I've seen some phenomenal uh, miracles of conversion. Uh, my own experience. Jesus took me from a homeless alcoholic and made me a pastor. And uh, that's, uh, that may not be a big miracle to you, but the people who I, I used to run with, it's still a miracle to them. And. Uh, Jesus is good. But uh, when, when Renee got out of that wheelchair, it was the most amazing thing. Let, let me digress and just tell you a little more about this. She was down here and uh, she was just praying through and, and working through the feeling of abandonment she'd had because she knew Jesus heals, but she was still stuck in that wheelchair and things were getting worse. And uh, so Leif was praying for probably a good 20 minutes and uh, someone said, Pastor, come over here. You gotta come over here. So I went over and they said... Renee said, look, I can lift my hand. I didn't realize it had gotten to the point where she couldn't lift her hand. So uh, to be honest, I wasn't real impressed, okay? I, I've repented, okay? And uh, so we prayed some more, and she said, I wanna try to stand. Now, mind you, she was laying down, so they pulled pull her up, and she stood up with help. Leif had his arms, his hands on her elbows, and her arms on his elbows, and he was holding her up, but she was bearing some weight. That was a miracle, and then she said I want to walk she had fire in her eyes and she started moving and Leif was kind of carrying her and they were moving the wheelchair behind her and it was down this aisle and then halfway down that aisle now the sanctuary was half the size back then she sat down in that chair we thought it was done and Leif said well you know sometimes healing is progressive and we're just going to keep believing and she said I want to walk again she said I'm just resting we're like okay and uh Leif had put his hand on her leg he said feel this I put my hand in her leg. You could feel like shots of electricity going through her. He could feel it physically, like okay, there wasn't the sound. The sound is day, but the feeling was real. And uh, so she said, I want to walk again. And Leif picked her up. She pushed Leif's hands away. She took a couple feeble steps and took off running around the sanctuary. The little kids were chasing her. She went up in the balcony. And I about needed that wheelchair to get out of here. It was amazing. We were crying like schoolgirls. And uh, that happened about 11 o'clock at night. Some people left about 10. So i just tell you. The one that closed the place down that got to see it. It was amazing. And uh, so being the, being the wise, discerning pastor that I am, I thought, we ought to have Leif back sometime. <laughs> so we invited Leif to come in 2008, a year later. And uh, the, before he even got here, Leif called on the phone. And man, the power of God came through the phone. And people started getting touched in the office People were laid out. People would come, you know, just to visit the office there and laid out under the power of the Spirit. That was on Tuesday, and by Saturday night, it was standing room only. People were coming from multiple states, and it was a glorious season of conversions and healings and just visitation where we would just lay under the glory of God, sometimes get stuck to the floor, and God just did a tremendous work. And and a a lot of phenomenal stories came out of that time. But on 8808, so that was in April, on August 8th, uh, Leif invited his spiritual father, Papa Jack, to come to speak. And uh, Jack preached on the kingdom of heaven. Now, I'm going to tell you, that, that was a turning point in my ministry, and here's why. Now, some of you, we, we're, our Wednesday night series, we talked about some of this story, but I want to share it with all of you in honor of Papa Jack. This was the message of his life. And what he did is, up until that time, I had this box, this theological box. I'd been walking with the Lord. I'd been in full-time ministry for several decades. and uh, Well, at least a couple decades at that time. And uh, I had this box, and then I had these spare parts. I had these leftover parts, these theological truths. Things that the Lord had told me, things I saw in the scripture, but they didn't fit in my box. And that was troubling to me. I thought, how does this fit with what God is doing? You know, it didn't fit in my box because here's the problem. I had a church box and there were things that the Lord administered to me that didn't fit in the church. And when Jack came, he came and gave me a bigger box and that box was called the kingdom of God. And all of a sudden, and Jack had this phrase, he said it that weekend, and I've never forgot it, he said that all the church is in the kingdom, but not all the kingdom is in the church. He said the church is merely a subsidiary of the kingdom. And that sent me on a journey, and it expanded my understanding of scripture. And I began to realize that the kingdom of God is not one doctrine among many, the kingdom of God is the container of all the other doctrines. Jesus came and brought his kingdom with him. And so that, that sent us on a journey. And really, I've, I've wrestled with this idea, even as of late. I've almost decided that I'm no longer going to use the term revival. Now, mind you, I still believe in revival as, we, as you would be thinking of it. The problem with that is revival presupposes death. Yeah. So to have continual revival, we've got to keep backsliding. Yeah. And I'm not into that. You know, I don't want to backslide to have another revival. Yeah. I want to go from glory to glory. Yeah. And so the language for that would not be another revival. It would be an increase of his kingdom. Yeah. Of the increase of his government, of his kingdom, Isaiah said, there shall be no end. And so our real theology is not revival theology, it's kingdom theology. It's for the increase of his kingdom. And so I want to look at that this morning. I want to look at this idea of the kingdom because there's some, there's some keys to help us understand. One of the problems, see there, there's different mindsets, different theologies of the kingdom, and I had been exposed to some of them previously, and that's why I was having the problem I was having. That's why it didn't grip me, it didn't grab me like it did before. I didn't recognize it as the box in which all other things would fit. I looked at it as some side issue until Jack brought the message of the kingdom to this house. There's different ideas. When people talk about the kingdom, some people say, well, the kingdom is something, it's in the future, it's yet to come. And there are scriptures in the New Testament that speak of When we enter, you will eat with him when you enter into the kingdom. You will eat with him at the marriage supper of the lamb when you enter into the kingdom. It's a futuristic thing. But then there's others who say, no, the kingdom is now. And they quote scriptures like when uh, the beginning of Jesus' ministry, even John's ministry, the kingdom of God is near. It's at hand says that we've been translated from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of his dear son. That's a now thing. I'm not waiting to enter in. I'm in there now. So which is it? And the answer is uh uh-huh. And that's the problem. If you don't understand the uh uh-huh, then you're confused and you tend to go with one or the other. And if you look at the kingdom as solely now, you end up up in error. But if you look at the kingdom as solely futuristic, you will end up in error. And there's something you give up when you go to one end of the pendulum or the other. Now, the other error, and we're not even gonna so much deal with that other than a few comments, the other error is when the kingdom is made synonymous with the church. That's how I was taught. I was taught, well, the kingdom is the church. And so when they would read these passages about the kingdom, they had to manipulate them and kind of force them into things they didn't mean. There are two distinct Greek words that Jesus and the apostles used when they spoke of the kingdom and the church. The Greek word for the kingdom is basileia. And we're going to look at what that word really means this morning. The The word translated church is ekklesia. Those are two distinct words. And the ecclesia serves the overall purposes of the basilia, not the other way around. Churches exist for the kingdom of God. A couple of weeks after Papa Jack was here that first time, I was sitting on the front row, and God had been really ministering to me and took me on this journey of unpacking the kingdom. And some of you will remember, we went into a long series on the kingdom of heaven and it was I, I just made a bunch of notes, and we just started digging through them over the next number of months. But I was sitting on the front row, and the Lord spoke to me, and he said, the, the, the church is not the end. The church is the means to the end. The kingdom is the end. And then he gave me this corrective word. He said, if you make the church, and I knew he meant the overall church, the universal church, the church, and this church, if I make this church or the church the end, I, will, I would inevitably, this is what he told me, you will inevitably be pulled into catering to people. Amen. The church without the kingdom is like an embassy without a nation. It's prestigious, but it has no authority, no power, and no one to represent. The church is an embassy of the kingdom of heaven. And we are down here to represent the kingdom of heaven. That is our job as emissaries of another kingdom. And so the church and the kingdom are not synonymous. And if you begin to read through that faulty lens, it will bring you to wrong conclusions. So I want to give you some keys this morning to really understanding the kingdom because you will not understand the kingdom without several of these key keys, okay? So let's pray. Father, we thank you. Lord, I thank you for Papa Jack. Lord, I thank you for his life, for the deposit he made in this house, and Lord, the impact he made around the globe. And Lord, Lord, I know that It's very clear in Scripture there's a principle. Except a kernel of grain fall into the ground and die, it abides alone. But in death, the one kernel becomes many. And there is such a thing as a spiritual inheritance. And Lord, we thank you that all that he mined out, that you spoke to him over the years, Lord, is put in an entrustment. Your word's very clear. The things which are hidden belong to the Lord. But the things revealed belong to us and you added our children's children. There is a generational inheritance of revelation when we honor our forefathers. And so Lord, we're asking God that you would release truth this morning about the kingdom of heaven. In Jesus' name, amen. Let me just comment on that prayer. It's important for us to realize there, there is... Scripture's clear. The things which are hidden belong to the Lord. But it says, but the things revealed belong to us. God will give you things. He'll reveal things to you. And those things are precious, and they unlock life and make sense of life. But there's also a generational inheritance. It says, and they belong to us and our children's children. There is such a thing as generational inheritance when it comes to Revelation. Revelation. That those things are, those truths aren't lost. They've been mined out, and, and we can access those things. We can ask God, God, reveal to me those things. Lord, teach me those truths. And Jack, there's, there was an influence that Jack had in this house that makes it, makes it accessible to us, if you have faith for it. Amen? Okay, so let's look at a couple of things so I talked about this thing of of the uh, uh, re- really what theologians call. There was a guy, George Eldon Ladd. He he coined this term. This is a this is a fifty cent theological term that makes you sound real smart. Eschatological tension of the already and the not yet. What he's saying is that we live in the tension of the initiation, but not the consummation of the kingdom. It started, but the fullness, the, the completion, the, the ultimate of the kingdom is not yet broken in among us. It's we're, we're, We have tasted the powers of the age to come, scripture says. It, we, the, the kingdom has broken into now. We're enjoying the kingdom. We are citizens of the kingdom. We are in the kingdom, but the fullness of the kingdom has not yet been donned upon us. And so we live in this tension of already and not yet of having some some things for which we are abundantly grateful but also being frustrated and hungry for more and we're to live in that tension and to deny either sentiment is a dangerous thing to deny what we have will keep will cause us to live well below our inheritance Jesus said things like, if I drive out demons by the finger of God, the kingdom of God has come upon you. One of the primary manifestations of the kingdom of heaven is deliverance from the demonic. Healing is one of the primary manifestations of the kingdom. It's the kingdom of God coming in and breaking in and breaking off uh, the residue of the fall in the form of human illness. And so it's a manifestation of the kingdom. I would, I would propose to you, now this is going to mess with some of you, and we don't have time to get into this, uh, but I'm going to try anyway. I'm going to just touch on it. Financial prosperity is a manifestation of the kingdom. Now some of you are like, oh no, here he goes. I'm telling you, it is a fruit of the kingdom, but it's not a first fruit. Just let that settle for a second. It is a fruit of the kingdom, it's just not a first fruit. There are other foundational principles and fruits of the kingdom that must first be in place. Often what will happen when people talk about prosperity being part of the kingdom They'll say, well, what about these third world Christians that are loving the Lord and they're not breaking into prosperity? It's not because that is not part of the kingdom any more than looking at a sick person and saying, well, I guess sickness is not a part of the kingdom because you're, you, uh, you're a believer and you're, you're still sick. And I'm talking to someone, we've dealt with a lot of sickness in my family. I've, I have lost a son to a rare disease. I've, I've got a daughter that's uh, in a wheelchair, without a miracle from God, she's gonna be dependent upon us for the rest of her life. She's 29 years old. But that doesn't mean I'm, gonna, I'm going to interpret what scriptures say about healing through my daughter's experience. I'm not gonna reduce the Bible to my experience. I'm gonna look at her, her experience and my experience with her through the scriptures and continue to go after that manifestation of the kingdom. But we're living between the already and the not yet. I, I'll never forget the morning Renee came in after her healing, dancing. Oh, i tell you what. Worship kind of went up about four notches that morning. People went wild. It was an amazing thing to see her twirling. And as I'm watching her, I look over and there's my daughter in a wheelchair. What is that? The already, the not yet. But I'm not going to reduce my theology by either one. I'm not gonna say One or the other is my reality. I'm not going to deny that because I'm contending for that to move. But I'm not going to not go after this. I want to see more of that. And so we live between these two. And what I'm saying about finances is when you begin to live righteously, just the fruit of responsible behavior will cause an increase in your financial standing. As someone who once spent all their money on drugs and alcohol, I can tell you, righteous living brought me prosperity. I didn't, get a, I didn't get a driver's license till I was 21 years old. You know why? Because it would cost me $5, and I could get drunk on $5, a cheap bottle of vodka for five bucks. And that was just too big an investment to, to skip. Getting. Every time I had five bucks, I went through driver's ed. It was offered in school. It was free back then. Now you got to pay for it. But anyway, so I digress. So when I got saved, all of a sudden, I wasn't wasting my money on stupid things. And all of a sudden, I had, I had more money to give. And, to, to, and then I found out the more I gave, the more I had. It was an amazing thing. It's an upside down kingdom, by the way, which is a sermon for another day. But there are other foundational principles. So prosperity is not a first fruit, but it is a fruit. It's a secondary fruit. It flows out of some of the other fruit. These the the third world nations, the reason some of the richest continents in the world have some of the poorest nations. Some of the the, the nations that are the richest in mineral deposits are the most poverty stricken. Not because uh, they don't have the potential for prosperity, but because of a a bad worldview look at india there's a bad worldview there that may not be politically correct but it's biblically correct where you think you can't eat the cow because it may be aunt sally you got a problem (laughs) when you are starving because you don't want to eat aunt sally you know that, that that is a worldview problem and it breaks my heart and then because of corruption. And the kingdom of God is the answer to both of those things, to the worldview and to the corruption of leaders. And when those first fruits are set in place, then prosperity begins to enter in. There is no lack in heaven because heaven is governed very well. And God, we're to cry out, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. One manifestation of that is good government. Leaders getting their heart right. Us governing our families well. Us investing the gifts within us. And using those for God's glory. And there's a a benefit that we receive for that. So I'm telling you, the kingdom of God is... There's good things that come from the kingdom of God, and one of them is there's going to be financial prosperity when you begin to live in the kingdom. Now, are there seasons where there's lack? Yeah, Paul said, I've essentially said, I've been rich and I've been poor. He said, I know what it's like to be, you know, have much and have little. I knew a a tremendous man of God, he's with the Lord now, he opened up some of the nations in Africa. He was a very elderly man when I knew him. And uh, he was a, a pioneer missionary in Africa. And I remember him saying, I've been rich and I've been poor. And rich is better. <laughs> and I would say, you know, it, it uh, we're to be blessed to be a blessing. And that is a manifestation of the kingdom. So, Okay. What does the, the kingdom mean? Okay, number one. First of all, the kingdom means rule or authority. Whether you're looking at the Old Testament word, uh, if you if you look at the transliteration, it looks like malkuth. I think it's a lot more like malkuth or something like that. I don't know. I, I don't speak Hebrew, but it's M-A-L-K-E-K-U-T-H, M-A-L-K-U-T-H, malkuth. And it, it, there's numerous scriptures in the Old Testament that don't make sense when translated literally unless you know what the word kingdom means. And then the g- word basilea in the New Testament. Matter of fact, I think it's Luke 9, I want to say, or Luke 19, where it says that there was a wealthy man that went off to receive for himself a kingdom, a basilea. That's, that's a very clear scripture that it's not talking about a geographic place. He was already in the geographic place, but he went from there to receive for himself a kingdom. He went to receive from the emperor the right to rule over the place where he was asking to be the king. So kingdom, uh, in in the the ancient sense, is the right to rule. And that's why you'll see scriptures in the Old Testament, let's say, in the kingdom of so-and-so, or the the Israelites returned in the kingdom of so-and-so. What it's talking about is the age of that individual's rule. And so kingdom means authority or rule, their reign. It has a secondary meaning. It can mean the the realm over which the rule takes place or even the individuals who are ruled by that king. But first and foremost, the, the idea of kingdom is the reign of God. So when we say thy kingdom come, thy will be done, we're not asking for the geographic location of heaven to invade earth we're not looking so that someday that this, it's not some futuristic thing we're praying for. We're praying for the rule of God now to enter into the affairs of man. So we say, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. In one sense, it's, it's two ways of saying the same thing. Now, there is a bit of a difference. The kingdom coming is the arrival. His will being done is the establishment. His kingdom coming is the invasion of Kevin's army. It's revival, but his will being done is the government of God or the stewardship of the effects of that move being established. But when we pray for his kingdom... We're praying for the reign of God. And that's an important thing because otherwise we read passages and we end up thinking of it as some futuristic thing that we gotta go to heaven as, it, as a location to be in the kingdom. And that's not the case. It's the rule of God. In, we come under his rule. And as coming under his rule, we're in the kingdom. The king Number two, the kingdom of God is coming while the kingdom of God is here. Now, I alluded to this already. Uh, Let me throw it to some scriptures. Mark 9, 47. It's coming. Uh, And if your eye causes you to sin, tear it out. It is better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than with two eyes to be thrown into hell. And it's clearly speaking about a futuristic thing because hell is a futuristic thing. And so we, we have this idea of a, a, it's often the future. Mark 14, 25, I say to you, I will not drink again the fruit of the vine until the day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. And so it's at that, in its sense, is a futuristic thing. Jesus referring to the kingdom. But then we have the kingdom of God being here as in the now. Matthew 10, 7, as you go, proclaim the kingdom of God has come near. Ma- Matthew 21, 31, the harlots, the, the harlots and the publicans, or the, the republicans. The republicans have entered the kingdom of God before you, he said. Oh, I'm getting political, I'm sorry. The harlots have entered the kingdom of God before you. He's talking to the Sanhedrin, the, 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 uh, the, the scribes and the Pharisees. He's saying that these who are far from God have entered the kingdom of God before you. And it wasn't some futuristic thing that they had entered. It had already happened. Colossians says, we have been translated from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of his dear son. So the fact is, you are, as a believer, if you have surrendered to the king, you are in the kingdom. And matter of fact the realm over which you rule, your patch of influence in this earth has now become a little patch of ground of heaven on earth. That's what's supposed to happen. And as you begin to apply, as you've prayed, okay, Lord, your kingdom come, rule over me. Now I want your will done in my life. You study the word. You begin to obey his principles. His kingdom begins to show up in your life. There are manifestations of the kingdom. You become a better dad, like Pastor John so eloquently preached last week. Wasn't that? a good message i was getting texts at the church i was at john's hitting a home run this morning yeah it was good you become a better dad a better mom a better son a better daughter a better employee a better citizen you begin to realize that as a kingdom you have you have authority from the king as an agent of the kingdom you can jesus said go out and heal the sick and proclaim to them the kingdom of god has come upon you Note that. He said, go look for sick people, pray for them, and then after they're healed, declare to them. This was a manifestation that there's a new king in town that rests on my life, and he's inviting you into his. It's a manifestation of the kingdom. And so we have these, this tension that we're living here in the already and the not yet, and this is a crucial truth that we have got to learn to live in. Because if you buy into the error that that the fullness of the kingdom is already here, you're going to fall into one of two things. You're going to deny the reality you're living in around you and become irrelevant to those who are hurting. Or you're going to reduce what the kingdom means to meet reality and you're going to become discouraged. You've gutted the kingdom of its power. So we've got to realize there's more for us to contend for. There's more for us to cry out for. But we also need to realize what we already have. We need to, we need to realize that it's already and not yet. And if we put it off in the future, then, then what we do is we live a powerless existence until we arrive. And we fail to fulfill our duty as believers. Believers. Or at least what we do is we reduce the kingdom to teaching and not the power elements of the gospel. You know, Jesus caused awe by his ministry. People were in awe of two things. It says that they were amazed at the healings, at the power. They were in awe of the power of God. But they were equally amazed at his teaching, at the truth that he brought. And both were a manifestation of the kingdom. So much so that Paul said the kingdom of God is not a matter of words alone, but it's a matter of power. And we must not reduce the kingdom to doctrine, to theological discussions. The truth that we share has implications that will change all of life, and we need to understand that and so we live in this this strange existence of the matter of fact, the Bible refers to the kingdom as the powers of the age to come. so in scripture, another thing we need to understand and, and it 's often translated, especially in our older English translations. The word age, which is eon in the Greek, is often translated as a world, the world to come. We're not, you know, not of this world, but the world to come. That is a poor translation, and there's something that's really lost there. It's not a separate world, it's a separate age. But Hebrews 6 speaks of those who have tasted the powers of the age to come. So we we, we have entered it. We talked about this a few months ago. You and I have already entered into eternal life. I'm not waiting someday to enter into eternal life. We talked about this a while back, how literally we enter into heaven now. We are already living in eternal life now. And it begins to bleed back through us and it redefines our, our past. I, I quoted a couple months ago when we were talking about this. C.S. Lewis has this wonderful uh, idea where he talks about how those who know the Lord, as they get to the end of their life, as they get closer and closer to doing what Papa Jack did and stepping over the line into eternity... Heaven begins to bleed back even while they're still living in their earthly existence. And, and he, C.S. Lewis said, Heaven begins to be retroactive and color and shape their perspective on their past. So at the end of their days, they look back over the pain of their life and they say, All I've ever known is heaven. And he said, It's equally true that heaven becomes, or hell becomes retroactive. And on the threshold of eternity, the sinner looks back and says, all I've ever known is hell. Because it begins to color everything. When, we are, when we've truly entered into the powers of the age to come, into the, the kingdom of God, and we begin to taste of the powers of the age to come, it begins to shape and color everything. I have a different perspective now, looking back at, back at my years of being a homeless alcoholic it now, it has, there's a different perspective. It has a different hue. And even that, it's colored with glory. Amen. I can look at that and be grateful. Jesus, you were so merciful. Amen. The pain of that is gone, and now it just glistens with glory and reminds me of how merciful he was. Amen. And so we are those who live in eternal life. And so we're, we, we live from that perspective and we bring it to this perspective, but we don't deny the pain of this earth, earthly existence. Speaking into that whole, that whole discussion, Francis Schaeffer in his book, I want to say it was Art and, Art and Christianity or Art and God, it, just a little tiny book, but he had, he had this interesting thing he talked about. I think John Eldridge has, has talked about this from, uh, from his writings as well. He said that the gospel has a main theme and a minor theme. The main theme is victory, the resurrection, deliverance, salvation, eternal life. And it has a minor theme. Death, suffering, sickness, defeat, discouragement. And your theology has to include both. Because if your theology is only one or the other, it's insufficient, and it's not only a half gospel, it becomes no gospel at all. We violate the word. When you look in the word, it addresses both. Now, here's the point, though, or, or a very important element of it, that... We've got to keep the main theme the main theme and the minor theme the minor theme. And there's many in this generation who are inadvertently taking the minor theme and putting too much emphasis on it. A number of years ago, I read this blog. I don't know who it was, but I remember the title. It was a brilliant little thought. He said, he said too many, it was called Error by Emphasis. And he said, too many of us are screaming what God is whispering and whispering what God is screaming, and we're guilty of error by emphasis. We're saying what he's saying, but we're not saying with the same emphasis, gusto, and volume. There is suffering in the world, and we have to deal with it. And if you've been around here any time at all, we don't ignore suffering. We talk about it. We've done series on suffering and how to deal with it and, and understand it from a theological perspective. But that can't be your main theme. And there's a whole generation, sorry those 30 and under, I'm I'm bringing to you some loving correction, okay? I'm not saying you're guilty of this, but there's a tendency in millennial Christianity to make the ultimate virtue, vulnerability, and authenticity. And the, the virtuous man or woman is the one who's living in failure, but they admit it. I'm living in bondage. I'm living in defeat, but at least I'm honest. And we sit around and talk about how much pain we're living in, and we talk about our dysfunction, but we're transparent about it. And I'm telling you, that is not the gospel. Hey, there is, there is a transparency, and if you want to get to the victory side, there's a transparency you must embrace, and that's a noble thing. But we've got to go from our transparency and repentance to stepping into the victory and working out our salvation. And the gospel is not a story of man being left broken until we get to heaven. It's not God just, it's not us celebrating our weaknesses and talking about those in small groups. But celebrating that God forgives us anyways, it's not just that he's given us freedom from these things, or forgiveness from these things, he's also given us freedom from these things. And we're to move from that forgiveness into that freedom called maturity. And we begin to shed those things. And we keep the main thing, the main thing, and the main thing is victory, resurrection, deliverance. And that's the the message we bring. We're not a self-help group where we each go around the room. Hi, I'm Dave, and I'm an alcoholic. And everybody says, hi, Dave. I used to go to those. I was part of AA. I was part of NA. And hey, you know what? That, That has helped some people temporarily to maintain their sobriety before they get to heaven. And that's, hey, if that's, what it takes, that's, that's a great thing. I applaud, but I'm telling you, there's more in the kingdom than that. We're not just taught being honest about our struggle. We're being delivered from our struggles. And so we need to keep the main thing the main thing. We're being honest. There is, there is this minor theme. Let's embrace it. Let's be honest about it. But let's pull it into the main theme. The main theme is there is deliverance. And this tension we live in. What Francis Schaeffer was talking about was this tension of the already and the not yet. So what is revival? We talk about revival around here. Revival is the, in, the breaking in of the powers of the age to come. You can put it this way. The kingdom doesn't arrive as an event. It arrives as a process it's here, but it's coming, and it one day will arrive. And all three of those tenses are true within the New Testament. And it's experienced in degrees. And I would propose to you, number one, different ones of us in this room have experienced greater and lesser degrees of the kingdom based upon our understanding, based upon our experiences in God. And I would also propose to you that your experience of the kingdom is not static. Just because you've experienced a reality of the kingdom doesn't mean you continue to do so. You can lose that element and have to contend for the very ground you once contended for and entered into. And that in a sense is what we call backsliding. I'm not talking about turning your back on God. I'm talking about not living at the level you were before. At times, we can get glimpses of things in the word and a, a glimpse of understanding we enter into. We begin to live in a reality in the kingdom and we lose those things. It says that the cares of this age, it doesn't say the cares of this world. Literally, that passage, Matthew 13, Mark 4, eight, Luke 4, I think. Luke 8 and Mark 4. He says that the cares of this age will choke out the word so that what you were experiencing, this level of life in the kingdom, all of a sudden these principles become, principles become a reality to you, and you're, you're experiencing the fruit of those things, you begin to lose those things. And so we need to contend for those. And I didn't realize it's past noon. So let's land this thing. The kingdom is rule, it's not a realm, it's rule. And so when we pray, pray, God, your kingdom come, your will be done, what we're saying is, God, bring your authority into my my life, and the way I attract that is through my heart's submission. I'm gonna surrender to his rule. And as it comes, it's here, it's coming, and it one day will arrive. All three of those are true. And the fullness of the kingdom will not be entered into until the fullness of the future age. But we can determine how much that we experience by contending for those things. And we can ask for more. And revival, when you read revival history, it is the breaking in of the kingdom. And so this is, let's land it with this. What do we do now? We live in gratitude for what we have while we live in a divine dissatisfaction because we want more. And sometimes those things can feel like cognitive dissonance, like we're at odds with ourselves. Which am I? Uh huh. Am I grateful or dissatisfied? Yes. Live in both. And it's actually, I, I had a one morning in prayer. We were up, back we were doing the prayer meetings upstairs, I was praying one morning, and as I was just getting ready to call everybody forward, I went into this quick vision, and this is what I saw. I was standing, looking up this hill, and it was dark, like, Man, it was like a war had gone on. And I looked up over the hill and the sun was rising and I knew it represented the bright and shining future God had for us. It was exciting. It's like, oh, I want there. And, and I felt led in the vision to look down and there were all these shoots of grass growing around my feet. And I came out of the vision. And I asked the Lord what it meant. and This is what I felt like he was telling me. The pathway To get to your bright and shining future is to cultivate what's already underneath your feet. Apply, cultivate what you already have. And this is the reason it's so important because if you fail to live in gratitude and cultivation for what is, you'll never get what isn't. If your whole thing is I'm crying out for a move of God but you fail to be grateful for the move you're already living in, the measure you already enjoy, I'm telling you, you will sabotage yourself from ever getting there because you will literally pray yourself into discouragement. That's why... The bowls, the harp and bowl, the bowl of intercession must be accompanied by the harp of worship. Amen. While I'm crying out for more, I'm thanking, brum, 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 thanking him for what I got. And this encourages me. I get my eyes back on the answer, who he is. Now I can, with that perspective, I'm going to tackle what isn't. But if I'm just focusing on what isn't and lose sight of he who can get, get me that answered prayer, so we live in this gratitude and hunger, live in that tension. It's a wonderful existence. And we can go from glory to glory. I'm experiencing more today than I was yesterday. Maybe I've lost some, ground. I'm gonna fight for more. But we live in that tension. And that is the legacy of Jack Taylor. Let's pray. Father, we thank you, God, this morning. Lord, again, we do thank you for Jack. We thank you for Frida. We pray that you'd be with Frida during this time. And Lord, I thank you, King Jesus, that you brought your kingdom with you and that you've christened us. You said to your disciples, I give to you a kingdom. Lord, you've given us influence. We are kings and priests. And Lord, I ask that you would help us to steward this principle of the kingdom. And, Lord, that it would advance within our hearts and our lives and our region and our nation and the earth. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to our podcast. If you'd like to help more people hear this message, you can get the word out by subscribing and sharing it on social media. If you'd like to support the ministries of Heartland Church, you can do so at heartlandchurchonline.com give.